Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor, working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode 40, Things Get Better. Welcome to number 40. Thank you for being a part of making 40 awareness offerings possible. If you'd like to continue to support this show, the Awareness Offerings Podcast, the best ways you can do so are by rating or leaving a review or subscribing or all of them on whatever platform you're using to listen, which helps other people find the show. And of course, if you'd like to share, that also helps folks find this podcast Um, And I am incredibly grateful for the ways that you support and most especially, as always, just for the way that you're here, the way that you've shown up to to listen and um, help create this space where I get to talk about uh, my understanding of the world and life from the lens of yoga philosophy and, and share some practice. So let's do it. We'll go into our opening practice of singing the sound of OM one time. OM being the sound that means consciousness. It's a Sanskrit word and the Sanskrit language is vibrational, meaning that every sound and syllable is said to carry a certain type of energy and OM is the fundamental energy of consciousness. And so we ask for more consciousness when we sing OM, which is something you can do by singing out loud with me, or you can just listen silently if you'd like to. If you're coming along in this practice with me, I'll invite you to get your body into a comfortable position. If it is safe and comfortable for you to do so, you could choose to close your eyes here, or you could soften your gaze, just looking down the tip of your nose or looking toward the floor, just turning down the dimmer on the external to bring a little awareness to your internal experience for this consciousness practice. And then if it feels accessible for you today, you might take a breath in through your nose And let that breath go, just clearing some space with your breath. And then we'll inhale for one sound of OM. Thank you for joining me in that practice. And now we'll move into this week's discussion. And we're talking about whether or not things get better. And this was specifically inspired by an interaction that I saw and kind of was a part of in an online space where I saw someone, not someone I know personally, but someone was detailing the dynamics of their relationship um, and 
it was both according to their own assessment and the feedback of a lot of the other people commenting um, it's a toxic dynamic. And like I said, that person, the person telling the story of their relationship could see that. Um, and they, you know, when asked, you know, why are you still in this situation? Uh, they responded, you know, I just wonder if things will get better. I just hope things will get better. I, I wonder if it'll get better in this situation. And this reminded me so much of the fact of, 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 of a similar dynamic that I was in not too long ago. Um, my last long-term-ish, it was like a year and a half total, although I had known this person for a very, very long time, but we were only actually in a relationship for about a year and a half. Um, but my last long-term partnership uh, was similar in circumstance. There, there was toxicity in that dynamic, and I, you know, I, I don't say that to cast any kind of blame because I showed up in toxic ways also. Um, but it was, in general, a very toxic dynamic, and I remember viscerally, right? I feel it in my body. Uh, I feel the memories very, very powerfully. Uh, the feelings of you know, just hope, hoping, um, that things would get better, you know, staying in the dynamic on basically on the off chance that things would improve and, um, you know, be the way that I envisioned them, be the way that I knew they could be from, you know, fleeting moments of goodness in the dynamic with this person, be the way that I wanted them to be. I was, I was holding on to, um, the prospect of something that wasn't actually happening, something, um, that was in the future or that was not actual reality. I was really holding on to that hope of, you know, what if things get better and reading this account from someone else who was also in a toxic relationship dynamic really touched my heart deeply and, and brought up those memories and um, perhaps even some um, lingering, you know, residue of, of my experience in that relationship that I still needed to process um, and as I, you know, used that opportunity of, of having a similar situation reflected back to me, I, I realized how deeply, um, you know, how deeply attachment is involved with that kind of hope. Um, and I, I don't say that to disparage hope at all. I think that hope is um, one of the more beautiful and medicinal um, and motivating substances on earth, but it, it's really kind of double-sided um, because it can be kind of cruel and, and painful and it's very easy to grab onto sometimes. And that's where we get into attachment, holding, grasping um, tightly to something um, that might not always, that, you know, the, the grasping might be taking up too much of our energy. Um, and and there, um there is, you know, yoga philosophy around this. And as I've been thinking about this person's situation that I read about and the ways that it relates to my own experience in a toxic dynamic, I've been thinking about the yoga philosophy around attachment. 
because one of the principles of yoga as laid out in this text called the Yoga Sutras, one of the ancient yogic texts that um, has laid out how we can live a life based in yoga. Um, one of those principles laid out in that text is aparigraha, aparigraha. Um, and graha is like, like grabbing. Um, and so, uh, any, any Sanskrit word with a in front of it is like non a, the a, uh, prefix means non or not. Uh, so aparigraha is, is not grabbing, not grabbing onto, which is often interpreted as non-attachment. Um, and so for those of us walking a path of yoga or spirituality, meditation, consciousness, whatever path you're on that has led you to be, you know, listening to a podcast that's hosted by, uh, you know, a yoga teacher and a spiritual seeker like myself, um, we are called to work on this principle of non-attachment if we want to align our lives with the spiritual path um, of not grabbing tightly to things, um, and that could be applied to, you know, things that are actually happening happening in front of us, right? Like grabbing onto something great that's happened and holding it so tightly to us that, you know, we crush that thing, um, you know, metaphorically, right? Like that we get, we become obsessed with it and then we're not able to see clearly what else is happening around us. And then of course it can apply to things that are not happening in front of us, like, um, things in the future, things in the past. We can grab tightly to the past and hold it up as some ideal of how we want life to be and then miss what is actually happening in front of us or you know, suffer more because what's happening in front of us is not the way that things were in the past. And very similarly, we can do that with the future. We can get very hopeful for what we want things to be like, how we envision them, um, what, we're mo- what we're hoping to move toward, our goals, our dreams, which again, in themselves are beautiful things things, but how we respond to them can cause us suffering because we can grab so tightly to them uh, that we don't have room for anything else. Or we, we use so much effort and energy to grab onto them that we exhaust ourselves, we wear ourselves out and we end up harming ourselves. And so, you know, I have been thinking about this yogic principle of, of non-attachment as I reflect on the idea of, you know, being in a toxic, um, relational dynamic, which I'm referring to a past romantic relationship, as was the person on the internet who shared their story and inspired this reflection, but any kind of relational dynamic could apply here. Um, but as I've been, as I've been reflecting on that, I've been reflecting on, you know, non-attachment and how to practice yoga in these dynamics where we get really caught in hope, Um, And we start to ask this question, you know, will things get better? Or we grab on to the the possibility that things could get better um, as, as justification for keeping us in a situation where we are actively suffering. And I have done that and, you know, other people do that. Um, it's, it's a very human thing to do. Um, the reason I believe, you know, this is just an opinion. No one, no one says this in any official capacity on the spiritual path. But, um, you know, I think the reason that the principle of non-attachment is codified as one of the principles and practices and deep you know, um, deep, the, the deep work of yoga, part of it is non-attachment. I think the reason that is, is because it's a practice. 
if it were this easy thing to do, they, you know, Patanjali, who was the, the, the philosopher, the yogi, uh, the practitioner who wrote the yoga sutras, uh, which are one of those texts that lays out the principles of yoga. You know, the reason that, um, you know, if it was easy, he wouldn't have needed to, you know, codify it and, and, um, give it its own whole, um, position as one of the main principles of practicing yoga. Um, if it was just a simple thing to do, we wouldn't need to, you know, hold it up as a, as an, a revered practice, um, because it is, it's a practice. It's so hard, um, to loosen our grip on things, especially when we're suffering and we want, um, to, we want justification or we want to, you know, um, we, we kind of want to comfort ourselves by saying, oh, well, this is what makes it worth it, or this is why I'm suffering. We, we grab onto any reason for our suffering that can make it worthwhile or, or um, give us hope that it won't last forever. But the thing is, something that I have learned as I have um, let go of the toxic dynamic I was in and um, moved my life in a different direction is that it doesn't last forever. The suffering doesn't last forever. Um, and we don't actually have to grab on to, you know, the hope that something outside of ourselves, like a situation, or in this case, a person who is contributing to our suffering or contributing to a dynamic that's making us suffer. We don't have to grab onto the hope that that thing outside of ourselves and outside of our control will change in order for the suffering to not last forever, in order for things to get better. And that brings me to Kind of what inspired me to record this episode because you know I was I was reading um, this the story of this person who was detailing their toxic um, dynamic on this internet uh, space this online space and the fact that they continued to say I just I wonder if things will get better as their reasoning for for sticking around and I you know offered the feedback that things can get better with someone else or through the support of your friends or for your love and care for yourself, things can get better. Things getting better are not, it's not dependent on this person to change for things to get better for you. And I wrote that in this online space and that kind of encapsulates what I was just getting at here in my reflections on this podcast that we we get really attached to the outcome that we hope for in painful situations um, as a as a means of hoping that the suffering won't last forever. But no matter what, the suffering doesn't last forever. And we do have some agency and some choice and um, deciding how much energy we spend and how much additional pain we cause ourselves in waiting for the suffering to end. Because if we're waiting on something, and especially someone outside of us, thing, those things that are decidedly outside of our control to change in order for the suffering to end, um, 
since those we have no control over those things, they it's quite likely that that will just prolong the suffering. Um, but if we turn toward ourselves, um, which is you know our ourselves, our actions, and how we respond, how we show up to any given moment is something we do have control over. Um, we are very likely to. Um, we have a lot more agency. We have a lot more power in deciding when the suffering ends. Um, and we get to be the reason that things get better. We get to be the reason that things get better. We have the agency to let go of a dynamic, a situation, a person that is clearly contributing to our suffering in a prolonged, sustained, um, and deeply painful way. We can choose, we have the agency to, to let that go um, and choose things, uh, actions, dynamics, relationships, people, um, choose showing up for ourselves um, in a way that makes us feel better, that makes it feel better to be us and to experience our lives. And things do get better through our own agency, through our own kind of aligned action. And so I, I say this, you know, to my, to myself, the version of myself from a couple of years ago and, um, to anyone else who is in a situation where, you know, we're waiting on something to get better. We have the power to be the something that gets, that gets better. And I don't say get better in, in like, um, like a moralistic or, or good or bad judgmental way. Like there's something wrong with us and we have to, you know, get better. I I just mean, we can be the thing we can be the catalyst for, um, the improvement of our, of our situation. And I'm really aware that this is a tricky line to walk because, um, I'm not at all referring to systemic issues like racism homophobia, transphobia, um, you know, systemic oppression is a systemic issue and must be addressed on a systemic, on a wide ranging societal level. So I'm not saying that, you know, if you're suffering from marginalization or oppression, you're too attached and you are the reason and you are the, you know, it's on you as an individual, um, to make things better. I want to be really clear about that. I am speaking to, you know, the, the human kind of, um, day-to-day relational and situational um, places and, and that where we find ourselves, where we have, where we do have the agency when, when we cannot control what's going on outside of us, we have the agency to decide if we are going to stay there and, and participate in that suffering and cause ourselves more pain than the world already causes. You know, it, the world dishes out plenty of suffering. We do have the agency to decide, um, you know, I'm not going to wait for things to get better. I, I do not have to be dependent on something outside of my control for, for my circumstances to get better in this particular situation. I can choose, um, my position. I can choose, um, how I want to be, who I want to be around, where I want to be. I can choose myself really. Um, I can choose myself for things to get better rather than waiting for someone or something outside of me to get better. 
And as I say this out loud, I'm thinking of a teaching that comes from my spiritual teacher, Swami Jayadevi, who talks a lot about this concept of the arrow of discernment. The arrow of discernment, um, which is essentially refers to, you know, when we are in a situation that is really, we're really caught and we're in pain or we're upset. Um, and the tendency is to point the finger outward and say, this person is the reason this person is making me suffer. And sometimes that's incredibly true. So that is, this is not meant to invalidate that at all, but the most conscious and, you know, yogic, cause that's the lens she's coming from thing to do is to turn that finger, that arrow back toward ourselves and kind of let it pierce our own heart, let it pierce the heart open and say, okay, but how am I showing up? What can I do in this? What, you know, what, what power do I have here? Not necessarily that we're responsible, um, for any kind of unconsciousness or, or, um, you know, ignorance or, or, um, just not that we're responsible for the lack of awareness or, or pain being caused by other people, but that we do always have power, that we do always have power and, that, um, you know, just as I speak about this particular, you know, um, internet interaction that I had that inspired me to reflect on the ways that I have, um, exercised my own power. I'm just thinking of this arrow of discernment, the, the conscious and yogic practice of, you know, rather than pointing outward and saying, I'm waiting for this to change, pointing it inward and saying, well, what if I change? What happens if I change? And it wasn't easy in my own situation. I'm not. I'm not speaking to. I'm not speaking about this uh, particular topic from the top of a mountain, looking down on anyone else um, in a similar situation. Um, it wasn't easy, and it's ongoing. I did not just wake up one day and choose to say, oh, I'm done waiting for this person to change and I'm going to change myself and everything's going to be great. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was dragged from that situation, you know, kicking and screaming. The, the, it took the grace of something bigger than myself to finally cut that person, you know, out of my life. Um, and then once it happened, I could see more clearly and I did have more space and energy, right? I was not no longer using so much energy, grabbing on so tightly to the hope of something that might happen, the, the possibility that things might get better, that I had more energy to see myself um, to see my life and to kind of gather my resources and um, show up for myself and take care of myself and choose the actions and people in situations that um, made me feel better. But it did happen. And I do feel better <laughs> than I did when I was in that situation. Doesn't mean I feel amazing all the time. Doesn't mean it's easy. I still think about that situation, that person. Um, I still have moments when I don't show up for myself and I get attached. Um, but I feel very confident in the truth that when we are in a situation and we're suffering and we're having to ask, will things get better? The answer is yes, because we're, it's not dependent on someone outside of ourselves that we have the agency, uh, to, to, to let go and choose differently to make a different choice than we 
than we might have before, than we always make uh, in order to, you know, choose our feeling better and being better and, and getting better. And I have been taught that that really is yoga, that the choice to do something differently than we did before, which, you know, in one way you could say that's, you know, we're stretching ourselves, we're stretching our capacity by choosing to do something differently than we did before. Cause that's, that's transformation. That's, that's growth. That's change. Um, and, and one thing that I have come to learn that yoga and consciousness, spirituality are, are, you know, just a, just conscious participation in the process of our own transformation. Things do get better because we have the, the power to transform and that's not dependent on anyone outside of ourselves. And, you know, one of the ways, one of the most powerful ways, maybe the most powerful way we transform is by showing up to practice, to uh, sharpen our skills, to be aware, to, you know, release attachment, uh, to um, notice when we are in a moment of choice where we can choose to do something differently than we did before. So practice helps. So now is the time. (laughs) Let's practice. This is the moment in the Awareness Offerings podcast where we sit and do some meditative and contemplative practice. So if you're in a position where it would be unsafe uh, to sit and practice or you just are doing something else and this is not the time, you might want to pause the podcast and come back. Uh, But if you're coming along right now, I'll invite you to find a comfortable seat. And that is any seat, as long as you can sit with length in your spine, the center line of your body. My spiritual teacher calls it the spine. She calls it a space of journeying because it's where our energy moves and flows. And so when it's long, we have a little more room to take the journey of consciousness and awareness and transformation. So sit anywhere in any position, you know, on your meditation cushion or a blanket on the floor or in a chair with your back against the wall on your bed, wherever you do to find your long spine. Then as you do so, you might settle into this place by closing your eyes or gazing down the tip of your nose or toward the floor just to soften your gaze, some gesture of turning toward yourself, turning that awareness, that discernment toward yourself and and choosing you in this moment. You might begin a practice of breath awareness here. Just beginning to observe that you're breathing in as you inhale. Observe that you're breathing out as you exhale. No need to change your breath, nothing you have to do with it, other than just observe the process as a centering practice, a practice of bringing your mind, your body, and your focus into the same place. And now we will 
modify the breath a little bit, if that feels doable for you, I'm going to invite you into some pranayama, some intentional breath work. Because, you know, the practice of knowing that things will get better because we have the capacity to do something differently than we did before, no matter what is happening outside of us, that is, that's transformation. And transformation often comes with heat, right? The, um, Fire has often been a symbol of transformation because fire, um, it's alchemizing. It, tra- it can transform one thing into another. It can transform, you know, wood into ash. It can transform, you know, um, solid into liquid, right? And so fire is the symbol of transformation. And when we choose differently than we did before, um, when we decide that we're going to do something or be something different, that can be incredibly uncomfortable. It, cr- it can create friction as the person and the choices that we have been and have made kind of rub up against the person and the choices um, that we are and and are choosing to be and are choosing uh, now those two things can kind of rub up against each other and create friction and that can be uncomfortable um, and that can create heat so there is this heat and this fire to to transformation and to committing to our own growth um, and to things changing on our end no matter what's going on outside of us so we're gonna do a little fire breath here i'll invite you at least to do a little fire breath to kind of purposefully harness that energy of fire um, and and friction and transformation um, to work with it intentionally to fuel and support your practices of doing things differently than you have done before whatever that might look like uh, for you right now in your life So this is, it's a strong breath. And if you have anything going on with your blood pressure, um, you're pregnant, it's a really heavy flow day in your cycle, um, or it just feels overwhelming for any reason to do a more intense and vigorous breath. You can choose not to do this breath. And instead I would invite you into a belly breath because the belly, it's where our digestive fire lives, where our strong core muscles are. It's very much associated with the element of fire. So any awareness to your belly will support that fire of transformation for you. So if you're going to do a belly breath, you just inhale, notice your abdominal space as you expand it outward to your capacity without force. And then you take the longest exhale you can without force, squeezing a little at your lower belly to empty all the air and make plenty of space for breath. So you can just take those deep belly breaths to stimulate and cultivate awareness of your belly center and your internal fire that supports the fire of your own transformation. Or if you're coming along for Kapalabhati, which is the Sanskrit name for breath of fire, which is where we're going here imagine that you're about to blow your nose and you might actually need to blow your nose here because the the action we're making in our noses is not dissimilar from nose blowing because you exhale really powerfully sharp exhale and as you do so you squeeze below your belly button so you empty out your abdomen um of air and maybe even of tension with this strong breath and it kind of sounds like (sighs) so that's the exhale and maybe just do that a few times just a (sighs) And you can stop that for now and you might notice 
even as you just practice that powerful exhale, that your inhalation is automatically a little shorter and maybe even softer than the exhale. And that is how this breath works. It's a short inhale, maybe a quarter breath in, and then that strong, powerful exhale. And it's almost like the inhale happens on its own accord. We're not really making it happen. And we put all the effort into that powerful exhale. And with this pattern, the belly begins to pump like a wave. And that belly pumping practice is what adds oxygen adds fuel to the internal fire to support that fire of our own transformation, our own growth, our own practice of doing things differently than we have before. So I'm going to start us with one round of fire breath at a slower pace, and then you can decide if you'd like to speed it up as I take us into some next rounds, but you can always do this at your own pace if you are choosing to do this breath. So I'll invite us here to take a full breath in through the nose Let all that breath go. Clear some space. Then let's take a quarter breath in to begin this breath of fire. Strong exhale when you're ready. Oop, I just I just noticed I'm going really quick. So I said I was gonna keep it slow. That's, let's try that again. Quarter breath in. Three more. Release that pattern. Notice how you feel. It can be kind of, um, you might feel a little head rushy, a little kind of like swirling or vibration of energy because it kicks some stuff up. It's vigorous. It's fire. Uh, So notice how you feel. I'm going to take us into another round of that breath. This time I'm going to speed it up. You could choose not to, or you could choose to go even faster than I do. So again, just a full, long and deep breath in through the nose. Longest exhale you got without force, just clearing out room for this powerful breath. Quarter breath in to begin breath of fire. Next exhale, squeeze at your low belly if you can and exhale as long as you can without forcing it, just clearing space. And if and only if it feels good, pause with the breath out. A lot of oxygen moving through in that powerful breath. So your body actually has a lot of oxygen. So you might not physically need the breath and you might take this moment of stillness that the non-breath can invite us into. Then let the breath return softly as you're ready. Notice how you feel after another round of fire breath, particularly in your belly. The energetic center of fire in the body, according to yoga philosophy. And then I'll invite us into one more round of breath of fire. And if you're already feeling fired up enough, you can just choose your belly breaths instead. 
Um, and I will say, I didn't offer this before we started the breath. If it's nighttime, especially, you might want to just take a belly breath. Um, if it's nighttime when you're listening to this, just so you don't get so fired up that you, um, that you affect your sleep cycle. But if you're feeling uh, ready and willing to go into one more round of fire breath again, let's take a full and deep breath in through the nose. Let all that breath go, clear some space. Quarter breath in. exhale squeeze and exhale uh, squeezing at your lower belly to press out any stale air any excess tension going as long as you can without force maybe and just maybe if it feels doable and supportive for you you pause with the breath out the non-breath teaching your mind and body about some stillness for just a moment And let the breath return softly. Notice how you feel now that you have kind of ignited your internal fire from the with the power of your breath and your awareness. Perhaps you feel a sense of invigoration in your body. Maybe there's warmth or power or awareness coming from your belly, that fire center. And the belly is right beneath the heart. So know that by, you know, tending to the fire in your belly, you are warming your heart. Maybe melting away something that has been, you know, keeping you from your own inner heart. Melting your own heart open. so that you can return to love. And in the context of this particular discussion, maybe it's returning to love in remembering that you have the power, right? The belly is also the seat of power in yoga philosophy. So remembering your power and then maybe drawing that into this heart space as you remember that you have the power to do something differently than you did before. Things will get better, and you have the power to facilitate that. Maybe returning to your heart in this context is choosing yourself, your well-being. Maybe the fire is dissolving away things that you're holding really tightly to when you have, uh, or when, and if you chose not to, to hold on so tightly, you would have more energy to choose yourself to be more well, to remember more love, which really benefits us all. Starts with you, but benefits everyone. So maybe you're just noticing your fire, noticing your heart, and noticing 
what your internal fire is fueling you to choose to do, how it's fueling you to transform. from this place, I'll invite you to take a breath in through your nose and take a big sigh out your mouth just to ground, especially after that invigorating breath. Let's take two more grounding, sighing breaths like that. Then you can begin to blink your eyes open. You can move your body around as needed, just returning into your, your space outside formal meditation practice. But notice what you're bringing with you. You have the power to continue to notice how you feel and observe your experience, even if you're not sitting in formal meditation. Perhaps you still feel that invigoration of your internal fire. It's always been there, but now you're aware of it. And so perhaps you are fueled to move forward, knowing that things will always get better because you always have the power to do things differently than you did before. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Laura Tara, L-A-U-R-A-T-A-R-A on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Oxella Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram.